welcome to the Two World Podcast, where you can hear thoughts and reflections on unique intersections between faith and culture. Tune in regularly for this foray into feelings of surprise and interconnectedness and aha moments in life when two worlds come together. Now join your hosts, Barney and Jacob, for this most recent episode. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Two World Podcast. I'm starting this off today. I am Barney, and I'm joined here with my co-host, and he is... Jacob! And we are honored to have another guest today. Um, today's guest is um, someone that I've known um, for a very long time. Um, in fact, he told me that um, just how long we've known each other, and I didn't realize that it was even that long. And um, our guest today, he is. Hi, I'm Chris Matsos. And today we asked Chris to be on the show because we thought it would be um, interesting to look into the world of theater. Um, theater, boy, I guess ever since the first people sat around a campfire and someone started telling stories, um, maybe that was the first one man show, I guess, or one person show. And as the stories got bigger, the stage got bigger, and theater was born. And theater has a different reputation, I guess, depending on who you talk to. I remember um, hearing a rabbi, um, and a rabbi written in you know history, saying, you know, blessed is the person whose shadow never darkens the door of a theater. And on the other hand, um, if I can tell a joke, uh, at the university where I would was teaching uh, one person um, was teaching a class about um, Japan and culture. And as uh, the class was being introduced, uh, someone kind of introduced the class saying, you know, will you, what do you students think? Can you guys explain the difference between no and kabuki? And my friend who was teaching the class, he said, um, how fast you fall asleep. So <laughs> <laughs> Theater um, is one of those art forms that I think um, encompasses the collective unconscious of stories so much better than anything else that we have out there. And just as, um, you know, my introduction mentioning, um, you know, some someone who was in Jerusalem, someone, you know, in Japan, um, it's this universal art, art form that has, you know, maybe... Um, coincidentally, was a part of cultures all around the world and was used for teaching, for remembering stories, um, for, you know, I guess for catharsis, you know, this wonderful feeling that we get as we're watching a play, something being performed live in front of, um, as a part of the audience. And uh, part of our podcast, looking at um, the kind of in-between spaces, the places where different cultures and different themes come together. It just seems natural that we take a moment today in, in an episode and discuss theater. And we're so lucky to have Chris here to be our guide. And um, the question I hope to get us started off with is, how about theater that's this ancient art form that has been used in so many different ways and and now we find ourselves today with so many things competing for our attention, big and small. And now we can have 
you know, movies in our living room at the same time that are in the movie theater. And, you know, there's even less reason for us to maybe think about watching something on stage. Um, I don't know, Chris, what, what do you think is theater's role in teaching or um, being or, or how it is in, in this day and age? Yeah, that's a really um, great question. And uh, I appreciate that question. But also, let me say um, that I'm just so feel very pleased to be here with you guys today. And thank you for having me. I love the podcast and appreciate the work you guys have done together on it. So it's a real thrill to be a part of it. So thank you. Um, but yeah, that's a really good question. And um, it's one that I've had to um, you know, in my work as a professor, it's one that has come up um, with some regularity, like, why do we need this anymore? And it's so funny because um, in places where I've taught in the past at larger universities, um, there's even been a kind of, uh, it's almost like in the curriculum, part of the course needs to be defending the merit of even having something like theater. And, um, you know, and where I am now, I teach at Hillsdale College, which is much more of a kind of classical liberal arts experience. And there, it's not really a question. It's like, well, this has been part of, you know, language and expression for a very long time. So, um, of course, it's necessary. So I haven't felt really the need to address that question in a few years. And so I'm really pleased that you asked. And I used to just tell people, well, you know, I mean, it's really funny. We, we have video, but that doesn't mean we don't need photographs anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like their progress doesn't necessitate the eradication of the earlier thing, you know. And um, I think that theater is a root of most of what we have today. And that is not to say that it, it owns those things or it's better than those things or it somehow, you know, en encompasses all of those things. But I really do feel that it, it's like a root. If you imagine a kind of um, like a culture and communication as being a tree or a great kind of plant, um, the roots must be some kind of theater and performance and and you can define it however you want but um and each of those little branches might be you know watching a video on your phone or going to a movie or um, watching tv at home or whatever the case may be but um without that root of live engaged um in-person performance we wouldn't have had any of those other things and and all of the people that we see in all of the you know um tv and movies all studied theater at, at you know uh, at, at conservatories or at college or wherever so it really still remains a kind of um you know a a, a great starting point for all of the stuff that we have today and and the way that you frame it, Barney, I, it reminds me, we're really where we are right now is a lot like ancient Rome. So mm -hmm. theater itself might be something of a kind of a, a Greek, not a Greek invention, but the ancient Greeks used it as a, a really inherent part of their, it was, it was like, you know, 
it was not only entertainment, but it was how they how they preserved and communicated meaning for their various myths and stories. Mm -hmm. But it was also a spiritual thing. Um, and then when the Romans came along, they still had theater, but they added to that gladiatorial games and races and street theater and um, you know countryside theater and all of these other things so that it was a huge spectrum with theater being one part of that. And that's kind of, I think, what we have now. Um, so it, it just varies so tremendously. It's not only all the things that you mentioned, but you know, Broadway itself is a billion dollar industry for better or worse. People come from all over the world to watch the latest kind of um, Disney-fied you know, um, thing. But it's also, I think, more meaningfully, you know, there are groups who will go into a community and meet with and work with representatives of that community to figure out what the, the main sort of stories are about the history of that town or place. And then they'll, they'll do drama about those, that place. And sometimes people in those locations actually are in the plays as well. So they're able to tell their own stories in a really profound way. So there's like such a huge range of what the theater is. Um, and I would say, as you said, one thing is to teach, certainly. Um, another is to entertain by which, you know, we might mean simply to like hold someone's attention. Um, to um, create community is a big reason that theater exists. And um, a, another a final purpose might be kind of to disturb. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean to shock or, you know, gross you out or anything, but to kind of challenge one's perceptions of the world, to upset your preconceived notions. And, um, and so, you know, I don't, movies don't always do that anymore. Movies entertain and um, TV entertains and it certainly can teach us and in a broad sense it might create community and that we all gather around at work the next day to talk about what we watched on TV last night. But nothing can or ever will be a substitute for a community of people together in the same place having the same emotional experience at the same time, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And it's, it's tantamount to what happens in places of worship. And so, um, so I think that's where, how it still has a place. And in the sense too, that it is the most immediate art form. I mean, with perhaps, you know, you can just do it. You don't need anything. You don't need any tools. Your tools are your body. And if I needed to stand up and start telling a story and using gesture and language to do that, it, it would be a kind of theater. And it just happens immediately without, without any preparation necessarily. So. As you were talking there, Chris, I was thinking part of what you were saying is that theater has the capacity to change and impact and transform society or, or communities. You gave the example of people listening and going into local communities and hearing their stories and then finding a way to express them with theater or even individual actors, you said, from those communities can play those parts, telling their own story and how empowering that must be. So I kind of wonder, as a professor, um, how do you see um, 
teaching theater to students, uh, transforming their lives, broadening their view of the world. You said it can disturb, it can make us think differently, um, broaden our view, our challenge, be prophetic. Um, how have you seen that play out in the classroom? Or if you want to push out the question more broadly throughout your lifetime, as you came into theater and experienced it, how did it shape you? What were some of its impacts um, on your life? Yeah, um, good question. Um, I think that it's always heartwarming for me to see um, students come to realizations about theater in the classroom. So I teach both kind of both sides of it. So I teach acting and directing, but then I also teach um, theater history and literature. So I kind of get to, to flex both muscles, the theory and the practice, which is really rewarding. So uh, like, I don't know, the probably the most profound way might be in acting classes where people realize what acting is that they have the ability to do it and that it's a transformative thing. Um, so we usually start the semester and I tell people that one of their big assignments is going to have to be to perform a dramatic monologue from a play and they will freak out. They say, I don't know how to do this. I don't get up in front of people. And then so we'll do these various activities and um, one of them will just be um, spend five minutes writing nonstop about something you feel strongly about. And they'll do that. And then I'll say, okay, would you just um, tell a partner what you wrote about? And they'll do that. And then I'll say, okay, now this partnership and this partnership come together and, and one of you share with that group. And then we'll say, okay, now, oh, you seemed really impassioned. Would you tell, just, would you say to everybody what you, what you did and and then they'll they're like telling this story about what you know and then after it's not uncommon for there to be tears after a short time and for people to um go from being very sort of bound up to all of a sudden they are breathing like you know they it's really funny they'll think that there, there's a misconception that acting is perfection it's a kind of um performed perfection like I decide what I'm going to do, I rehearse it robotically, and then I just show you that thing I've rehearsed, when really it's the opposite of that. It's making the plan, but then letting yourself play and live within the plan that you've come up with. So what I see in, in this exercise and others that I'm describing is people um, all of a sudden realizing that, and you can just see their breath go down into their abdomen like all of a sudden they're from doing little shallow breaths all of a sudden they're like and they have a big breath and they'll cry and they'll it's like they just have this moment of release and it's really cool and then after that you they you realize it's um it's not about putting on masks um you realize that you wear the masks daily, the persona that you are creating and that you are showing to the public and to your peers is usually a kind of falsehood, um, or it's a very polished exterior that we want people to see, but it's not always the fullness of you. And so what we learn to do is take those away 
And you realize that acting is actually showing a very vulnerable, um, true heart of who you are. And that takes a lot of bravery um, to do that, to stand up in front of people and be your most vulnerable self. But that, that's the beauty of it. And that's another answer to Barney's great first question is that, you know, that's why we can have um, a million, literally a million different people play Hamlet. Because over the generations, you know, you're watching individuals live the circumstances of that, that sort of immortal character. Um, so, so anyway, there's a real truth to, to acting, which seems counterintuitive to a lot of people. And when they get that truth and realize that they're sharing a part of who they are and that this is a, a, a venue for doing that, it's really beautiful to watch. And they, um, it's, it's a very deep thing. So that's probably the most, um, a really exciting way, but there's other ways I've done things in, um, usually I do a kind of theater survey course where we just study, you know, we don't really act. We just study how people have done theater over the centuries. And often that culminates in a project where students will get to create their own play, which sometimes they'll perform it. Sometimes they'll just sort of hypothetically talk about what their play would be about. And they learn about um, the thing that I learned as an undergrad, which is why I love theater, which is that theater isn't really about theater. It's about everything else. It's about anything you want it to be. It's about where the theater will take you as a tool. So it's just a way of telling stories. And the stories can be whatever you need them to be or want them to be. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, um, the, the other part of the question, I don't know, I, I was thinking back to being very young and going to see theater. Um, I was born and grew up the first few years of my life on the East coast and we would go to New York pretty routinely. And I guess I didn't realize what a privilege that was to go see Broadway shows. And my parents took me even when I was, you know, three or four. Um, and so I saw like the original Annie on Broadway and we saw um, Peter Pan um, and Peter Pan starred. Uh, the guy who was Captain Hook was um, famously played uh, Mr. Belvedere on, if you remember that old sitcom, Mr. Belvedere, he was the lead. And so like, we go to see that. And then I remember we went to see um, The Empire Strikes Back in the movie theater. And I remember sort of realizing that this is all kind of the same thing, but yet not. I couldn't quite get what was different about it. And as I think back now, I'm realizing that, that um, the real joy of the live experience is that I was close enough to have reached out and touched some of those actors in the Broadway shows. I mean, I was literally 10 feet away from the one. And um, that is a, a um, that's a profound thing. That's a very deep um, and, and I think kind of honorable privilege to get to be in the room with the, the lived thing being presented to you. Whereas, you know, Empire Strikes Back was wonderful, but 
And I sort of thought that was real too. I thought they were behind this magical screen that just made it look a little different. And my, my parents were like, no, that's, that's not real, son. And I was like, it was real, it was real. But um, so I think, I think the key is really just the, for me, the, the live kind of thing. I grew up attending in Ohio, their um, Ohio Light Opera um, in Worcester and attended that regularly and was pretty close with the founding um, artistic director, James Stewart, was a close friend of, of our family and um, watching him and I, and I would just sort of study him. I, I would just, um, so this is sort of an answer to your second part of your, your good question, Jacob, but um, just watching that man and his profound sense of timing and his uh, incredible ability to communicate things both verbally and non-verbally just with his body and his timing. Um, so I think that, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm wandering here in my answer. I don't mean to, to meander around, but um, so I guess for me, liveness and um, it is really the, the key that kind of got me interested in it, as well as just the fact, as I said, of the, of the storytelling and the, the kind of myth-making of, of it too. As I was listening to you, um, especially talk about uh, your students, um, you know, I, I had the image of, um, you know, I think there's a, a short story by David Sedaris about the drama bug. And um, it, it feels like there is kind of a hurdle in place either that we probably that we put it there ourselves or maybe um, the people that we know they're involved in theater um, there's, there's just, there really is a lot associated with theater, just, even just the word. But I get the sense that you have a lot of students and have had a lot of students that um, really just took your class maybe as an elective, as they thought it would be fun, as they wanted to learn this or that, not that they intended to do anything more with theater. And then as I hear you, I realize, boy, this really has a chance to teach us so many skills, so many important things that we can apply to our lives. And um, I wonder, you seem like you, you probably have kept in touch with a number of students um, that you have had. And I wonder how are some of the different paths that they ended up taking that um, weren't necessarily directly related to theater, but you saw that, you know, wow, because they were involved, not, you know, not necessarily because they were in my class, but, you know, because they had part of them awoken to what theater is, it really kind of changed them and really influenced them. Um, can you think of any, any anecdotes, any um, memories of how you've seen theater, theater and just being touched by theater changing people in that way? Yeah, I, I have. And it's really, you know, um, the, the real profound thing of teaching is when you see students that go on to be you know something greater than you ever could have achieved yourself you know and um and i've had i've had that and probably some of the bigger more successful people i wouldn't want to claim much responsibility for um but you know uh, yes, I've had people in all different, I mean, such varied um, people who went on to become doctors and 
you know, people who are lawyers, people who are in business, um, educators, uh, and I have talked with them and, and um, I've had people contact me, you know, and say, well, I'm a doctor now, but I think your class was like the most meaningful class I took in college. And I would say, God, why are you kidding me? And they would just say, well, just because it gives you a sense of presence and a sense of um, inhabiting your own body, which is really, you know, critical for my work. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that's great. And um, I've had people, and I have had people as well who go on to be really successful in the theater doing really remarkable things. Um, not just trying to sort of be in it for themselves and try to become Broadway stars, but um, people who have used it for, um, for education, um, for community theater, um, for really good works. And, um, so yeah, it's been, it's just been a, a huge range of, of people and it's always joyful to keep in touch with them. Um, you know, it's everything pastors. I've had former students become pastors <clears throat> and talk about the, the, um, the, you know, the relative ease with which they can speak in front of a group of people routinely. Um, I've had people who've become activists who, you know, they said, well, when you taught us about street theater in the 1960s, about how they would, you know, um, protest, you know, uh, Vietnam or whatever by doing happenings on the streets. So I started doing that for, you know, animal rights. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Sure. Go for it. Why not? Um, so yeah, that is a, but you know, I, one of the things that seems to, um, as you, you talk about the theater bug, which is kind of traditionally thought of as the, you know, someone being exposed to a theater experience and having such a great time that, you know, and at its most um, reductive, I think people will talk about that as, well, I was on stage and I felt this profound thing. And so I realized I could never do anything other than that again. And um, I don't think I ever had really myself an experience like that. I was just surrounded by it. And I had, you know, both my mom and dad were involved in it. And so I kind of thought, you know, getting involved was a way of feeling even more connected with them. Um, but one of the things that tends to grab people on a, a kind of an intellectual level for those who have no intention of being on stage or in any way creatively involved is um, the the universality of it. So I tell students to their surprise that, you know, theater seems to be a native human, like innate impulse that happened um, in all over the world. It either happened miraculously coincidentally all over the world in such a profound way that it it must be innate to our experience as humans or humanity was itself at one time all from the same community and they were doing it so that as humanity spread they took the impulse with them but either way it is so old 
it, it has to be one of the oldest things we have. It has to be right up there with, you, you know, um, honoring ancestors and, you know, certain spiritual practices. And I think it's deeply connected. And an example I give is, you know, so in the West, there was the Greek theater in Athens where, you know, for, for various reasons, only men could perform and they would have these masks and it was in a ritual context and festivals in honor of one or more gods. And they would, you know, put on the mask and then they'd go out and do the show. And then they'd go into this little hut behind the, the stage and take off their mask and put on the next mask and come out as somebody else. The same thing. I mean, if you write down those characteristics and you look at the no theater tradition of Japan, which we spell N-O-H, but I don't know how it's spelled in Japanese, but um, it's the same thing. Only men performed. It was a masked thing. They retold aspects of their mythology. It was in a kind of outdoor pavilion thing. It was usually part of a Shinto ritual. They would even have a little room where when it was time for them, before they'd go on stage, they would go in this like closet and face a mirror and look at themselves and then put on the mask in a private kind of ceremony. And then they'd go, it's almost like a, you know, um, I don't know what it's called, but like a buffer chamber where they transform into the character and then open the door and be in character as they go out on stage. And the Greeks had something kind of very similar. So how is it that in the East and in the West, as well as all over the place, these traditions were um, not quite uh, concurrently, but certainly without much contact with one another, these things were happening in such similar ways. And um, so even those who have no penchant or, or patience for theater, when they start to understand that, it's, um, you know, it, that can be a different kind of theater bug, a kind of curiosity that, that once makes you want to learn more. You've mentioned several times, Chris, um, some possible connections between um, theater and even aspects of religion or spirituality. Uh, there was a book that came out not too long ago by a man named Kevin Van Hooser, where he talked about what he called the theodrama, the sense in which um, the Christian liturgy, or it could be, I guess, liturgy in any faith context, but in, within Christianity, it's representing these core narratives or stories that are part of our faith, the foundation of our faith. And in particular, he zooms in on um, the, um, the presentation of communion, this uh, meal of celebration of, of unity between people, but also a deep representing or retelling of that original story of the Last Supper and the, um, the elements of, um, of the ceremony are old. They go back to the early part of the tradition, but we try to represent them afresh. And I've just noticed in my own experience um, as a pastor, when we do celebrate communion, we do use the same words, those words of institution. And we, we, we do the, the actions of, of lifting up the cup and, and holding forth the bread. And I noticed that there is a real intensity, uh, emotional focus in those moments in our service that is unlike anything else um, in the service to me. And I've heard others talk about that as well. And I can't help but think there's some aspect of that, 
the representing, it has to do with our remembering. It has to do with the sense of this is not just, these are not just words, but this draws us into the reality or the story, the original story. So um, that really resonates um, a lot with me. Um, But then also you were talking a little bit too there about um, uh, being your, how acting in a sense is being in touch with your true self or uh, without the, all the pretense. And if you can access that, um, then you can, um, then you can be a, a more fully invested in your role that you're playing, uh, more authentic. And um, I'm kind of wondering um, how, how can we learn from that process in theater um, for other areas of life? Um, like, I can't help but think of theater. It must be create space for like mentoring um, like you mentioned the person um, that you had uh, appreciated at the highlight opera and you, you observed him, you learned from him. And in a sense, he shaped who you became like, so that's one aspect I think of theater of helping us um, grow and become more in touch with our, ourselves. You, have you had experience with mentoring or it sounds like you've benefited from it. Um, could you speak a little bit to that piece of, of mentoring or. Oh yeah, I think it's a. I think it's um, a. It provides all kinds of opportunities for for mentorship, which is just another kind of community, really. And you know, like any, in the same way that um, you know, if you go on a long road trip with people together, by the time you arrive, you you know them much more intimately than you know sometimes for better or worse, but it's always memorable. And, um, and I, I kind of think of, um, or, you know, students I've had who have gone on and, and been in the military have said things like this, that there is this bond that forms through going through something together. And, and we can apply that to any kind of, you know, real thing that needs to be done. And we do as a partnership or as a group. Um, and so theater gives us a opportunities to do that because you have a deadline, which is opening night and people are coming and they're going to see whatever it is you've been working on. So you are under a kind of pressure to work together, to get over any differences and to, um, to deliver a piece of material that is worth, you know, that is going to speak to those people who are coming. And so um, you have to, you know, theater teaches us a lot about creativity and a lot about resourcefulness. We don't always have a clear path to get to that end. We just know we have to get there. And so in that closeness, in that working together, there's a tremendous bond that forms. And I direct plays, uh, you know, all the time um, with my students and you know, you feel so close to your students when you've had that chance to work together. You feel like you're in it together. You don't, it's not the same feeling quite as in a classroom where the teacher has a certain level of authority in the learning experience. In the, in the production experience, the director does have authority, but certainly it feels like we are a team and we've got to work together. So the, the bonds that come out of that are a natural kind of mentorship. And, and I truly love the students I work with in, in traditional classrooms as well. I really love them, but 
also in the productions, you just come out of it so closely and you get to know them. Like I had a student last year who um, on our final, uh, we were doing the Shakespeare play Henry V and the last day was um, the Sunday performance and she almost missed the show because she went to church uh, at, at kind of at a distance and then something happened and she wasn't gonna get back in time. And I was there on stage with a stage manager also who also was an actor walking through the role with her in the event that she would have to do the show. And literally about five minutes before Curtin, the actor who did the role sort of ran in very apologetic about almost missing the show. And me and the others who had been trying to attend this situation all just sort of like had this collective anxiety and then release. And it felt like we had been through something together. And so there is a real um, kinship, I think, that comes from something like that. But one thing I've observed about that, and again, um, mentioning, um, as you did, Dr. Stewart, who was the head of Ohio Light Opera, I must have watched him perform hundreds of times. He never knew whether I was in the audience or not. I was just a kid who lived in the neighborhood and would go and see the shows. And so I'm sure he knew that I learned a lot from him. And I'm sure I told him that before he had passed. But um, that was a real lesson to me. And I think to all of us who might, mentorship doesn't often, isn't always a chosen responsibility. Sometimes it's just a thing that we find ourselves doing. And um, it's, it's not up to us. We're just in the position and other people are observing us. And so I really learned that from him. And I've learned that from my students too, that I need to be aware of what I'm doing and aware of the choices I'm making and, and how visible my actions are in a position of authority in the theater, but perhaps just in life in general, because they're watching and they may have deemed me a mentor, even though I may not think of myself as one in that relationship. So, um, so anyway, I think that's a, a, a good kind of thing that, that comes out of it in terms of, of mentorship. But um, to your, I don't know if you want me to keep speaking, but to your previous thing um, regarding the spirituality, that is a big aspect of what draws me to the theater as well. I just think it is a, a, a very spiritual kind of practice um, because it encompasses so much of what we, of what we would also relate to a spiritual journey, um, undertaking a goal um, and then sort of moving toward that goal and at times you are sort of veering and you're not quite sure and you doubt yourself and um and you have to go through kind of a kind of a lot to arrive at the end result um and and uh certainly the greeks absolutely saw the theater as a spiritual practice one of their um ancient theaters which is still there you can visit it is in a, a town called epidaurus and right next to this perfectly preserved theater was um, was like their version of a hospital. 
And so they believed that if the soul was in, was healed, that the body would follow. So they didn't really know how to heal you all that well in the sense that we would in Western medicine, but you would go to this hospital and then you would go and watch the plays, which were an inherently spiritual festival context. And the idea was you'd watch a, a character going through something awful, you'd experience something of that pain. It would tap into your own trapped emotions and your own anxieties and your own bottled up junk, you would release it. And that's the catharsis that Barney mentioned at the top there. And, and the catharsis would heal you. And so um, there's, there's a, a lot of opportunity for healing in the theater, whether that is a public kind of thing or in, as Jacob, you said, with the, with communion, that is, you know, and I don't mean to, um, um, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to reduce communion and say that it is only some sort of active theater, but, you know, Aristotle said that theater is an imitation of an action. That's what, what theater is. And so what is communion, if not an imitation of Jesus' action of this, of this ritualized opportunity to be together? And, you know, um, so I think that somehow um, when you are doing communion, participating in it, you are, it's almost like it's, um, there's something really mystical about repetition. And every time you do it, the ritual, you're not just doing it that time, you're also somehow revisiting the same, the same one every time. It's like a repeated, um, it's somehow unique, but it's somehow also all of them at once again. Um, and, and that's a, just a really beautiful thing. So um, I think we, I think there are a lot of parallels there that have really been significant for me anyway. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really meaningful. Um, as you're talking there at the end about a repeated experience um, that we enter into again and again, somehow there's connection with the first time each new time. Um, I was thinking of a book that I had read years ago called The End of Memory by Miroslav Volf. And in that book, he talks about trauma. And he said, sometimes we're stuck with a memory of pain and for him to put the the memory of the gospel story of uh, the life of Jesus his own suffering um and 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 movement to resurrection and new life on top of his personal story um somehow gave him increased capacity to work through his own struggle and then he talks about how that's part of the process of coming to the end of memory, the end of this, this thing that has you in bondage is, is, is the other story being laid on top of yours. And that image makes me think a little bit about what you're saying here about um, a ritual and maybe even in a broader sense about theater. When another story is laid on top of ours, sometimes that, that can bring a new insight and um, hope and um, a way forward. Um, I don't know if, if that resonates with you or um, that language he uses or not. Oh yeah, I think that's everything. That's everything. It, it, that's that's the whole reason that it continue, that theater continues to be meaningful. It, that's what it is. We and, and that's what myth is. And and you know, myth is just a 
a story that perhaps never happened, but um, also is somehow always happening to someone. Um, and it's just those, there's just been a, enough instances of those that we've collected them and tried to preserve them, but they're really hard to preserve, um, except in sometimes nonsensical kind of stories that are hard to um, decipher. But but that's what the theater is. And, and that's why, you know, as I, I look at your wonderful wall of the comics behind you and um, and that's what the comics are as well, is mythology. Um, and that's the reason that, you know, every time you go to see the next Batman, you're not only see, you're not really seeing that with fresh eyes. You're also bringing with you the ghosts or the kind of the memories of all the other Batmans you've seen and imposing those upon that performance. And that's what makes that a, a kind of mythology. And um, the same is true of Hamlet. You know, um, Hamlet is in some sense, is definitely a myth, but is in some ways more real, like than I will ever be. You know, people will know Hamlet in hundreds of years as they have for hundreds of years. And, um, and yet he's never existed. And, but his words have existed and somehow that's more real than, than I think I am, at least in terms of cultural memory. So whenever we have someone playing Hamlet, we're, we're even subconsciously comparing what we see to every other version we've seen, or, or if not, in the absence of other versions, we're comparing it to our own experience or our own, you know, um, kind of experience of the things he's going through. Um, so it's, that's absolutely the only thing that makes theater meaningful is what you just said so beautifully. It's the layering of experience and memory and, and the, the mechanism for doing that is imitation and is, is myth, which is its own kind of imitation and repetition of, of or reiteration of story. Um, so yeah, it's, um, Absolutely, you're you're right on with that. Yeah. Yeah, as I was um, getting ready for today and and thinking, what could I contribute? What kind of ways could I help today's um, episode progress and go along? Um, you know, it, it came to me, especially maybe inspired by last week's um, uh, topic, talking about um, history. It came to my realization that um, you know, music and theater are these old, old ancient art forms. And um, as Chris mentioned, you know, and it, 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 it came to my mind and then Chris just reinforced it with music, you're limited, you're bound by the instruments of your culture of, of what it is that, that your society, your community uses to make music from. But with theater, you just need yourself or, you know, a few props or just some motions, you know, it's just the imagination of the people that are there with you. And, and we see this. And again, speaking to what Chris was saying, you know, people who can't speak Italian go to watch operas, people who can't speak Mandarin go to watch operas too. And, and they get the story, you know, they give them a book of the play and they'll just say, this is in Italian. I can't read it, you know, make them listen to Chinese music, music that's sung in Mandarin. They'll say, I can't understand it. But take them to the opera, take them to the musical, take them to the theater, and they get something from it, you know, even if they don't know the synopsis of what it is. 
And it's um, the combination of seeing this live, of this living event in front of you, um, and the feeling, the reactions, you know, maybe in the ether of, of the people around you feeling, especially the people who know what it's about and can understand the language, um, of getting this emotion that you get from theater. And um, just kind of as, as my final thought, I think, um, and, and again, to answer the question at the beginning of the show, there is something so timeless about theater that, um, you know, you can't watch it on TV. You can't um, experience it um, any other way than with people as a part of a community. And getting this sense of um, we're hopefully receiving this gift that our that the actors are intending to give to us, um, hopefully presented wonderfully, and and we all leave you know changed because of our past experiences that we bring to it, and what it made us feel, and then how we go forward from there after that experience and. Um, I'm just so thankful that we had the chance to explore this topic again today and that um, Chris was indeed the person to, to guide us through that today. And so thank you. Yes, I want to echo what Barney just shared too. Thank you, Chris, so much for joining us and sharing your experiences, uh, your vision, your understanding of theater. And I found it really inspiring. I hope too that our audience, as, as you have listened, that you've learned something new about theater, how it can enrich your life, how it can challenge you, how you can think in new ways in light of it. And we look forward to joining you again in future episodes. So until next time, goodbye.